Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Hello, marketers. Hello, business leaders. Thank you for tuning in. And this week, we've got a very interesting guest. Interesting in so many ways. I'll be very honest, and you may be the same as you looked at this guest. If you looked him up on LinkedIn, you may have been saying, do I really want to hear from a VP of both sales and marketing? You know, some of us question those types of leaders. Can they really balance the two? And I went into this podcast worried myself, but once I got to know DW, you as he goes as, you will realize this guy understands how to build a machine and how to ultimately ensure that salespeople follow through. Today was really interesting to me. And, you know, very often, you know, we talk about the importance of aligning sales and marketing and not in every scenario can we have sales and marketing live under the same leader. In fact, DW is kind of at the stage right now where he's starting to feel that stretch between the two departments and how that balances. So you'll hear a little bit about that. The other part that we unpack that I find really interesting is how they've rolled out at such an early stage of their company, around 110 employees. They've rolled out to so many global offices. And they do this, though, when we talk about the buyer's journey to accomplish a more one-to-one personalized experience, words that I love to hear from any marketer, any sales leader. So without further ado, here we go, the podcast with DW. All right, Dalis, welcome to our podcast. Welcome to our office, too. We're doing this one live in person after a lot of scheduling fun for this one. And, I, you know, for our listeners, I'm going to call you DW going forward because I know you sign your emails that way. Yeah. And it's a lot easier than Dalis. But, much easier. But, but I think I've got it down now, anyways. Yeah, I think it sounds natural already. I'm, I mean, being in Canada, Canadians are good at everything. <laughs> All right, we'll take that compliment. We'll take that. This, these days, we take that compliment on basketball. We'll broaden that to everything. That's right. So, first off, let let's unpack where you are today in your career. You are VP of Sales and Marketing, or Sales and Growth Marketing, to be very specific, at a company called Get Accept. Tell us how you landed there, size of the company, as much info as you're comfortable to share. Yeah, I'd love to. So, Get Accept. If you think about the landscape today for sales tech. Often you have different things for proposals, signatures, contracts. We combine that all together in a unique solution with video and live chat. So it's a great platform, about 110 people, and it's been crazy in, in the last 18 months. I think we've gone from 20 to 110, and I think the forecast are 200 for next year, which I'm sweating a little bit about. And uh, arriving at Get Accept, it was a great journey. I actually was a customer, I think one of the first 20. And I bought the product with my own credit card after seeing a demo because at the time uh, we couldn't assign budget, but I loved the tool so much. And I used it for two years and received great feedback and now been in this role for about two and a half years. That's wild. I love that story of how you found them. So did you, just to make sure we understand, you were were using the product and they reached out to you or you that... I think it was a, a mutual friendship. So I people may know me from events. I always wear my Australian outfit with the the cowboy hat and a few other things and the boots. And so I was actually their first video case study. Okay. And I think they wanted that look, you know, they wanted to leverage it and it was a bit unique. 
And uh, we became friends there. And I think also many of the marketers now are probably exploring things like customer analytics platforms or a greater connection with their CS department because you can use those insights to better understand who's using the product so you can market to them. And I think I was the power user. They used the analytics and said this one guy sent maybe two or 300 of these, you know, in the last (laughs) six months. So let's get on to him. But it's been very good. And the lens of being a previous user is undoubtedly helpful as a marketer. Amazing. So what I'd love to unpack today for for those tuning in is this idea of carrying a pretty big load between sales and marketing. And a lot of the guests that we've had on this podcast, when we talk about their marketing journey, it's, you know, pure marketing roles, overseeing marketing, having to often interface with sales. In your case, you've got both sales and marketing teams reporting into you. And this isn't the first time in your career. When was the first time you saw that model maybe work well? Yeah, that's an interesting point. There's there's two examples I can think of. One is uh, this proliferation of what I call direct sales. So perhaps some people would come onto a website, they would explore it via your marketing and via your on-site marketing, and then they would make a purchase. So if your marketing was efficacious the first time in generating a sale, wouldn't that marketing also be sales in that instance? Because the purest marketing, if it worked one time and excited you and you bought. So there was a conflation between the two ideas in my head in that instance originally, right? The second one was when I was working as a consultant for what became Australia's version of Angels List. And I became, I think, employee number two or three there in the end. And I was brought in to run an email marketing campaign with some of the softwares we obviously know and love today. And we had a, a list of people who clicked the campaign but didn't proceed to buy. So given I had some experience in cold calling in the past, I actually just jumped on the phone, called all of them, and we closed about half of them. And then that's when, again, I thought, well, I use marketing to generate the opportunities, but then in the same motion, they were closed. So I've always had a passion for both of them. And now we heard of that great word, smarketing, right? So that's where it's kind of come together. So if we're to unpack how you how you got to this point, I, I, we could see different paths. You, you talked to, er, to me earlier about time at Trust Radius, you know, a company I've got a lot of respect for where you oversaw, you know, more focus on sales. Yes. Maybe where did you see the sales and marketing work well in a second stop after this first one? Because sometimes it does work well, sometimes it doesn't. Have you seen it fail for you at any of the stops along the way? Yeah, I think, well, in this role, it's been extremely difficult. I think that to be a good marketer, you need to create a creative space or a safe space for you to relax and generate those ideas. I think with the number of sales reports and those pressures that sales can, can generate, sometimes that can reduce your creative capacity immensely. I think there was a role before the story I talked about where I was ma- managing, If think about when you go to look at a home loan, Before, there was never the internet involved. So we created a portal for people to come on and look at home loans and we sold it to Australia's uh, biggest bank. And in that role, it was difficult because the sales team was very transactional B2C and then the marketing had to be both B2B and B2C. 
uh, because we were trying to market commercial loan products and also the home loan side. So in that role, I don't think I executed effectively. And even though we were quiet, there were some competitors that had that traction a little bit faster than us, I think. That's interesting. So now, just to give people some some context of size of team, we talked about 110 employees, but 60 of them are in sales, which is a really high ratio versus what we'll often see. Maybe you can help us understand the breakdown of those salespeople, and then we'll hit on marketing right after that. Yeah, so what we pursued is a highly regional-based strategy. Just like I'm in Canada now, and we can talk and hopefully build a friendship as we are now, we found that having a local presence in the form of pods in many countries could help increase our our footprint in a faster way. So we have offices in Denmark, two in Sweden, France, the UK, and uh, in San Francisco. Hopefully I'm not missing a country, Uh, (laughs) but that's been good. And each each, uh, office has a collection of hopefully two SDRs to one AE, but sometimes where we can, it's more of a one-to-one ratio. And uh, we've really focused on building inbound. In the US, it's about a 90-10 split of uh, inbound leads versus outbound activity. And in Europe, it's about 50-50. So that's why there's a high concentration of salespeople because uh, there's still not the demand for some of the products that we offer on things like organic search. So we're going to have to use outbound marketing or outbound sales efforts to generate that demand there. Gotcha. So we, we've had guests on the podcast earlier in this se- in this season who talked about the benefits of having SDR, BDR type of role report into, into marketing specifically. Yeah. In your play, case, again, you've got both. So life, life is, works really well. Maybe you can help us understand you know, when you, when you take an, an opportunity, how important is it that you have control of marketing and BDR, SDR? Or if you were just in a pure sales role, would you be willing to give up your SDRs? I'd never be willing to give them up. No, <laughs> I, I think that there are many good sales development managers, though, or VPs of sales development who can sit and provide that on-the-spot sales mantra that that the BDRs may need or SDRs may need, even if they sit under marketing. But what I've found is that often there are issues where a customer... Imagine when you're buying things in this day and age, even if you go to buy a TV in the store, if the the rep at, at Best Buy or Walmart or one of these stores said... I'll come back tomorrow and I can show you the rest of the features. (laughs) You may never come back. I wouldn't, right? So BDRs, SDRs often face the challenge now of being increasingly pressured to showcase something or to dive a little deeper, especially in the first calls, right? And in that case, I think it's helpful to have the sales background. That being said, I've worked with many companies that have done well and they particularly do well when they have enough signals or pseudo inbound traffic that then they can create human touch points on the back of that right in a pure outbound model i think you still need to consider some sales leadership in my experience gotcha so i got one more question before we take a break here and this may be you know the the hardest one to answer maybe a little uncomfortable but from what I know, in, in the current role, you've got about eight marketers reporting into you in addition to these 60 salespeople. What, what kind of, first of all, what kind of job titles do those people have, just high level? 
just to give us some con- context. Yeah, so now's an interesting time because we hired our first VP marketing. Okay. And soon I'll be taking on a new role because as we've alluded to in this podcast, it's hard to do both. Right. Um, but at the moment we have, you know, social media, a marketing manager, a paid manager. We have a number of different uh, content strategists, for instance. I also had a lot of success this year with an SEO manager, okay. uh, particularly because my experience is in SEO building marketplaces. And I think that that's, the, the structure today has been good, but at the same time, us being spread across Europe and America, it's hard to understand both markets and in particular the needs of every country in that market. So our major challenge and some of the listeners may be able to help me is how do we create scalable marketing across different languages, across different cultures? That's been a, a big challenge for us. Interesting. Interesting dilemma. So that wasn't my tough question. That was the lead up to my tough oh, question. Oh, here we go. But the, the hard question here is with those eight marketers until now, until you're at the point of starting to split these roles, when you have this, this leader who maybe leans more heavily to sales, and in, especially in the case of Get Accept, you've got... 60 to, to eight, you know, there's going to be a lot of sales emphasis. How do you still make marketing, the marketing team feel valuable in, in the grand scheme of things when they have a leader who maybe has more of a typical sales lean than perhaps a marketing lean? Yeah. Well, I think that the scarcity issue gives them inherent value, right? Because there's not as many marketers. Everything they do is so needed right now in the company. I also think that attribution is key and we always talk about attribution these days but many of the largest deals have been sourced by things run by marketing for instance we just ran a huge sales enablement event in stockholm the marketing team is always uh, given the credit and hoisted up above the rest for those efforts so i think that that's created a positive culture that being said we are a sales technology platform with a highly concentrated sales team and in fact, every single person in the company in previous years had a sales quota, even the developers. Now we do cold calling days where everyone in the company has to do cold calls. So it's going to be tough for us to find that right balance sometimes given that we have to kind of uh, you know, eat our own dog food, as they say in North America. Absolutely. So on that front, uh, I think you lined up some fun conversations for the second half of this podcast We'll take a quick break here on the marketer's journey with DW and we will be right back. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies and we created one just for you head to uberflip.com journey to see how uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand 
All right, welcome back, DW. We are now going to dig into the buyer's journey. We unpacked your career, which is you know pretty interesting versus some of the marketing leaders who are kind of more purist marketing leaders. I'm going to call it for today. But on on the buyer journey, that that is one where marketing sales has to work really closely together. That's where this thing works. Now, help me understand an area that you opened up a can of worms on, which was how do you deal with all these different regions? I mean, you you barely were able to remember how many offices (laughs) you have, and hopefully we didn't forget any of them. How do you start even as simple as routing inquiries to the different region accordingly? Yeah, and that's been a big struggle. I think uh, sometimes as well, the data that you receive isn't accurate. Uh, Really? No. We've had many cases and I love it when we have actually inquiries um, from Montreal, Quebec, because they are meant to be routed to our French office. Uh, but often we had still have issues. So I was able to set up uh, IP country and nominated country, right? So that gotcha. helped us a little bit more. To answer your question, I think uh, our choice of technology partner has been HubSpot from the early days. I think we appreciated. We went through Y Combinator and uh, was lucky enough to get out of there and get funding. And a lot of these technology partners have good uh, offers to help companies like ours grow quickly. And so... We've set up some great rules which have some manual checks and balances. And as our lead volumes increased, I think I need to re-examine whether or not that manual uh, middle ground check can still happen. But I'd say that 80% of our qualified leads actually come from uh, live chat. And so one of the big challenges is having a team member from each country present during that critical 9 to 5 p.m., period. And we haven't found a way to solve that. I'm, I'm extremely pedantic about lead response time being less than five minutes. Okay. Uh, I think if it's greater than five minutes, I've seen various detriments in the business uh, from that, that latency. So we push to really uh, decrease that and, and get that as close to the seconds mark as we can. And in the cases that we don't succeed, Human involvement has been really successful using video. A lot of people are talking about video here and there, and we actually use our own product for that to reach okay. out using video. Tell us, tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, without being product pitchy, but yeah, how, how do you, how are you? Uh, what's the process for using video to cut through the noise? Yeah, I think that uh, most of us, uh, if you've seen with voicemails too, most calls go straight to voicemail. So I like to think of the concept of a video voicemail. So how in 30 seconds can a human being add enough value to make someone feel interested? And my future goal is to take any reverse IP traffic that's qualified and perhaps send these targeted messages more in an outbound sense to these individuals. And why I have growth in my title, I guess, is it may not have been clear from LinkedIn, but I've, my father was a programmer and I've had background in programming at university. So I'm always trying to think about how do I automate those things that humans do? And so particularly with video or chatbots or these kind of things, I think that's why I've been given more of a growth mandate because I want to use the marketing background and combine it with some programming to create an experience where the buyer thinks they may be talking to a real person 
or receiving something put together by someone, but it's actually created by a system. That's amazing. So, you know, we, we just kind of, for the first part there, focused on human interaction, I think it was your word, or how do we create the illusion sometimes of human yeah. interaction? So that's chatbots, that's, you know, emails, voice calls, videos. What about, as you said, the, the elements that are packaged up? So let's talk about content for a brief moment here. With all these different regions that you're trying to hit to, I would imagine the same content or same approach is not going to work. How is your team of eight people, you know, eight marketers again, managing to scale and still personalize down to those different regions? Yeah, and you're the king of content. I've, <laughs> I've been able to read your book as well. And I think that the answer to that is I've shortcut the content creation process from my background. And one of the things I felt was, it, people want to buy when they hear stories from people like them in the same job, in similar companies, in similar locations. Those are the three caveats if you're listening. So in that sense, it, we've tried today as marketers over and over. I think I heard one of your teams say after this they have to record a customer reference call or right. something to that effect. So we The we, recording studio is highly, <laughs> highly coveted here uh, yeah. to, to our listeners, yes. Yeah. There's a line out the door. <laughs> so uh, in that sense, the quickest way to get around that laborious process of permissions in a large company particularly is to ask employees for reviews. So what we've been really big on is j- driving hundreds, uh, hopefully thousands of reviews uh, soon to websites like G2 Crowd and Trustradius. And then we use a content team and an offshore team to spin that content in, into assets that we can use. The hardest part has been we choose English as our language of choice, but particularly when we sell in countries like Germany, in France, there's a translation barrier. And that's about mastering the act of remote employees and process-orientated workflows where you can push it in English and then it automatically gets routed, to use our favorite word for this segment, routed to people who can translate it quickly. But I'm always thinking about what happens if their review changes or the content needs to change and and that's a problem, right? When we put in a lot of effort to create the static assets, keeping them dynamic is always a challenge. That's very interesting. I I love that hack, by the way, because it's it's creating multiple use cases of that content you know yeah. a g2 review has a ton of value but that that's a story as you said to be told so great tip for our listeners uh dw this has been a ton of fun we're going to keep you around a little bit longer because everyone's already going to be intrigued if they listen to this podcast they know that the last segment we unpack where you travel to and given that you're from australia living in San Francisco, but here visiting me in Toronto, Canada. I, I don't know where else you could travel, but we'll, we'll be right back here to, to unpack that on The Marketer's Journey. All right, DW, so we've seen your career, which has a, a more unique balance than I've seen in most cases between sales and marketing. And to your credit, I got to say, very often, you know, you hear someone say they do both, but then they just do one. It sounds like you really do both. And, and I'm wondering with all that busyness, you know, having not just a sales leadership role, but also a marketing leadership role, how do you find time to take a break? What is your trick? I didn't have a good trick for a long time, especially in the startup, you know, the zero to 10 phase. But 
These days, uh, I, I used to actually be a full-time uh, DJ. I'm not too old for the listeners. I'm 27 still, but I'm, I'm getting there now. You know? I'm not <laughs> the youngest guy in the room anymore. But I was a full-time DJ, and I, I still do that. I really enjoy it. I love the outdoors, and I love learning languages. So I'm of Lithuanian background, and uh, I speak Japanese from studying and living there. But I always try and learn a little bit of a language uh, every couple of months because I think the best way to create connections is to know a bit of language, right? And um, yeah, I did have that time in showbiz. I had a brief stint on the Ellen Show and some other things. So in my spare time too, I uh, am writing a a script. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm writing a a script for um, it's about three people moving to uh, Silicon Valley to start their career in sales and, you know, all sorts of things unfold. That's so awesome. Right so everyone's, everyone's already intrigued that now. And if they checked out your LinkedIn, they'll see the teased banner of you sitting with Ellen, which like my kids right now are already going to think you're cool. Just and, and they don't think many of my guests are cool, my kids. But why were you on Ellen? Just give us that little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm well. If you see me in here, I'm, I'm not looking the best today. This weather's killing me. This <laughs> my, minus zero. I, I'm in degrees Celsius, but that, I've never had that in ten years. But I I was on the Ellen show for uh, singing, uh, for opera singing, and uh, my brother and I uh, actually can do a bit of that stuff, and we were a funny combo together. I think I'm the dry humor, and then he's the modern kind of young guy humor and so uh we initially uh won a trip to go there and then ellen uh enjoyed our chemistry and so they tried to make us into a little tv act i guess you could say that's one Um, of their go-to bits yeah and it was great uh we did uh we were contracted and did a number of episodes and i guess secretly you dream as a small boy in a small town in australia that you could make it to hollywood but then when i got there i realized that this is pretty serious and I'm just a small fish in a big pond and I didn't really like the whole, uh, you know, having to be someone who you're not on, on camera. So I, I went back to technology, which is my true passion and um, I love the ability and I think the marketers would agree. It's such an honour and a privilege when you can send a message that reach tens, hundreds, even millions of people, no matter what it is. And I think that's something that we should respect and treat with reverence because if we're not doing positive marketing or positive social change, that's when our jobs are uh, negatively impacting people. So always work for somewhere you believe. That's my there you motto. Go. I, I love that. That is, that is a great last point for this podcast. And I can't believe we didn't weave that into your career journey because I don't know how we would have made the connection to being a marketer and being on Ellen, but it's an amazing story. And the journey that you've taken is, is truly amazing. And the one you continue to pave for yourself, I think is some, something that all of our listeners hopefully learned something from today. DW, thank you so much for making the time for coming here specifically to our recording studio in Uberflip headquarters for everyone who's enjoyed this podcast. Please tune in to, we've had so many interesting stories from marketing leaders today, a combo of marketing and sales leadership. And I think that's the reality is the path that you're taking, the journey you're taking. There's not one stop. There's not one way to get there. I think you'll learn that here on the marketer's journey. So thank you for tuning in. And one last thank you to DW. Thanks for having me and go marketers. 
You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 